Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those in every place, um, who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. <clears throat> I get an email from Lynn of what I'm supposed to read, and I read this, and I was like, we need to do a little um, prayer meditation, so we're going to try it out. It will be not that long. Um, I'm going to read the second half of this again, and this time I invite you to be prayerful with your heart as you listen, and then um, listen in for a word or like a phrase of words that bubble up to your attention and focus in on that. And after I'm done reading, we'll take maybe a minute or two, just quietly in silence, to interact with God's spirit on that word or phrase of words. <laughs> okay. If you're comfortable with it, go ahead and close your eyes. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord.
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, Crystal. I don't know if you guys needed that, but I did. <laughs> um, I think John already told you to turn to 1 Corinthians. It's funny. Uh, anyway, funny how I'm feeling, but I'm going to begin with a joke. <laughs> uh, several years ago, um, I was with, I went to Hawaii. I don't know if you've ever been to Hawaii. It's pretty cool. But uh, I went to Hawaii with my, my buddies, uh, John, uh, Colin, and, and, our, and our wives. And it was uh, what you would imagine a trip uh, with old friends to be. It was, it was ref- refreshing and super relaxing. It was a truly sweet time with lots and lots and lots of laughter. Um, actually, I, we laugh a lot with our friends. We were at, uh, what, what's, what's that restaurant? Taj Mahal last week. And some lady asked us to, to, get, to quiet down because uh, she couldn't, cause, and we were just laughing to, to, together. Um, <laughs> it was crazy. It was crazy. Um, anyway, the trip was really cool. Lots and lots of laughter. Um, one of one of those one of these moments where the the cackling reached a crescendo uh, was a, a joke told by by John. I don't know if you know, but John's a pretty funny guy. I know his jokes don't always work on Sundays. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. You can amen that. Like it's fine. He's 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 strong enough to handle that. But he there was this joke told by John, and it was. Uh, um, our first or perhaps second day on the island. And we're driving by a, a church which for the sake of anonymity and decorum will remain nameless. Um, but, uh, and the only reason I bring it up it, to you now is because this local church that we were passing by, and I also need to add, which we personally know nothing about, uh, was a part of a network of churches that John Colin and I all, st- all used to work for and pastor in. Um, and, and so if you can get the, the picture, we're all packed into the, the van and, and jo- we're driving by this, this church and John just goes, do you, you, you smell that? Do you smell that? And we're like, what are you talking about? And he's all, he starts going... And we're like, what is, what is he, what's going on in his weird brain? And so we, he, uh, he, he seems puzzled, and, he's, and, and we're like, what? What do you smell? And he, and he says, he says the, the church wounds. <laughs> yeah, good. I'm glad I, I wasn't sure how that was going to land, because for pastors and people who have been in ministry, we totally get it. Um, I don't know how everybody was gonna how that one's gonna land but whew, okay that one that one landed okay yeah yeah I think now some might say after that joke that church wounds are no laughing matter and I would say you're right they are they, they are uh, not something uh, to laugh about 
and, and in fact, before I continue making jokes, because that's what I do sometimes, um, if you have been wounded in church and you still are wounded, let me just say I'm sorry. I'm so sorry that that is uh, your, part of your story, um, but w- welcome to, to the party. Um, we're all participants in probably administering wounds and in receiving them, but let me just say I'm sorry. I am terribly sorry that, that you wrestle with that and struggle with that. But I also want to additionally tell you why I can laugh at mine. Why I can laugh at my uh, church wounds. Well, number one, because that's just the way God has wired me. I laugh at everything. Uh, The most morbid things, and if you want any details, you can ask me, or you can talk to John. I can make jokes in the most inappropriate places and times. It's just, again, it's how I'm wired. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a sick person, but that's, that's who I am. Um, but number two, and way more important, I, I can laugh at my church wounds um, because, because at the end of the day, uh, the, the hurt, I've moved through that into hope. Um, because I still find Jesus and his church beautiful. That's why. Amen. Amen. Yeah. The church might be weird and wonky and messed up sometimes, but it's still beautiful because it belongs to Jesus. And hopefully, I will, I'm going to attempt to prove that to you today. And kind of answer a question along with that. Like, what do we do and how do we love Jesus' church when it has given us a wound? Or perhaps many wounds. I can tell you stories. Actually, if you want to have, a, if you want to have coffee with John or I, we, 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 we joke about church wounds all, all day with you. Um, but anyway, how do, how do you love Jesus' church when it has given you a wound? Well, this is one of the ways in which 1 Corinthians is super helpful for us. Okay? Um, I, 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 I agree with the sentiment of, of Mike last week. It's like, it's such a daunting thing to look at any book in the Bible and say, how do I teach it? You know, there's so much that I will not deliver to you today. But what I will hopefully deliver to you today is an answer to that question. How do we love Jesus' church when it's delivered wounds? Like I said, this is how Corinthians, one of the ways in which it helps us. And why Corinth? Well, there's there's really uh, only one way to describe, in my mind, uh, Jesus' church in Corinth, um, and that's Bedlam. The, the church in Corinth was Bedlam. In fact, if you want to know the alliteration for today, it's Bedlam, body, and belief. Okay? Bedlam, body, belief. But, uh, uh, and I happily did uh, ascribe to the alliteration, Mike, so you need to search your heart for... Um, uh, whatever you need to find there. Um, anyway. 
<laughs> um, but it was be- it's Bedlam. If you've ever, have you ever read 1 Corinthians? Anybody? 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 Bueller? Bueller? Yeah. Um, dude, it's, it's Bedlam. The picture I have in my mind is Royal Rumble. When I was a kid, I was really into um, WWF, or, which is now WWE wrestling. Um, you know, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and, and all that. And I don't know if you've ever seen the Royal Rumble, but the Royal Rumble was a really interesting wrestling match because it started with um, about four or five guys, and then every two minutes or so, they'd send another wrestler into the ring. And, and by, at, at, you know, at, at some point, they could have like 20 wrestlers in the ring. And the way you were eliminated is you have to get thrown out. And I, I mean, I remember some of the most incredible moments in Royal Rumble was when like five guys are trying to hoist Andre the Giant out of the ring, right? Um, I remember one of my favorite wrestlers, Leaping Lanny Poffel, he, he, he came into the ring in a suit of armor. Um, it's just it's chaos. It's total, total chaos. It's bedlam. And that's, that's, that circus is entertaining when you're watching it in a wrestling match, but it's crazy if that's happening in a church. And that's what's happening in the church. Bedlam. Uh, the church at Corinth was a scene of uproar and confusion, a case of chaos, anarchy, and lawlessness. You're saying, wow, that's pretty intense. Well, there was so much sin, so much hurt happening here in this church. In fact, in all but one of the chapters, uh, Paul spends significant time pointing out serious problems taking place in the church. And I'm just going to try and be concise with it, but here's kind of what they were dealing with. In chapters 1 through 15, Paul covers the subjects of sectarianism, sex, spiritual gifts, regular supper, the Lord's Supper, and, resur- and the resurrection. And, and all the general ways in which the church was practicing selfishness around all these areas in, the, in their life. In chapters 1 through 4, it's revealed that the church has become engaged in a bit of a popularity contest. Some are saying they are of Paul. Like, I only want to hear sermons and read letters from Paul. Others are saying, well, I prefer to hear my sermons from Apollos. You know, Apollos was known as the orator. He had, he had a great speech, and, and Paul was known as a guy who was kind of boring. Um, and then there were others who had chosen Peter because he was an OG apostle. Um, but instead of being a community centered on and celebrating around the person and the work of Jesus Christ, they were known as a community of bickering and bias. It's really sad. Especially when you read Acts chapter 18 and you read how the church started and how God came to uh, Paul there and told him, hey, stick it out there because uh, there's going to be a lot of fruit happening in your ministry there, so, so stick it out. And it's a beautiful story. However, when we read at this time, uh, they have, they have, they have uh, kind of settled into a cult of personality 
and uh, it's resulted in cliquish behavior in the church. And I don't know about you, but uh, cliques really bug me. They really, they really bother me. And it's weird that this ancient problem, it's kind of a modern problem too, right? When you get down, you really get down to the nitty gritty with other Christians, it's like, you get tested by whether or not they know your favorite teacher, or, or and sometimes you've done the same thing, testing people if they know your favorite teacher, or believe your particular flavor of theology, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, you know, flying the flags of, of, of um, you know, again, just personalities and, and, um, and even ministry styles. And that's what essentially was going on, or one of just that's just one of the things going on in Corinth. In chapters five through seven, you learn of a of a sexual scandal going on there. A man is having relations with his mother-in-law, and and shockingly, it's emboldened this church with a sense of pride. This is happening in the church, and they have a sense of pride around it. Paul says, "You're you're puffed up." about it. Like, it's giving them kind of something to be excited about. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Corinth was known as a sexually progressive city, but here's what's interesting. Paul points out uh, to them that the expression of sex going on in their church is, and I quote, a kind not even tolerated by the pagans. Man, dang, right? That's, that's like a mic drop moment. Like, dang, Paul, that's heavy stuff. Um, Paul is so exasperated with both their, the sin and their tolerance of it in the church. And um, the mistake they've made is that the freedom in Christ that they, they, that they have has been seriously misunderstood and, and applied in the gathering. In chapters 8 through 10, the question around meat or food offered to idols has driven a deep wedge in the church among the believers, especially, specifically between Jewish and Gentile believers. You have the legalists saying, do what the law says, and then you have the libertines saying, we know better, be free, and do what you want. Rather than the spirit and love for one another leading in this matter, they let the flesh take the reins, and this had disastrous consequences on the church. Disastrous consequences. In fact, in chapters 11 through 14, you see uh, all of how this is unfolding literally in their gathering. Um, Chapters 11 through 14 exposes the greed in the gathering. Uh, Charles Swindoll, I haven't heard that name in a long time, so I thought we should use a quote from him. He says this. He says, beginning in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Paul exhorts his readers to apply the teachings they had received from him for proper order in the churches. No doubt the, the Corinthians had failed to exhibit, exhibit proper order through submission to Christ and to one another. This resulted in self, uh, self-centered divisions and offensive conflicts even in the observance of the Lord's Supper, a celebration meant to display the Lord's unity. In keeping with this factious spirit, the Corinthians also exercised, spir- exercised spiritual gifts in ways that highlighted their selfish ambition. Though their demonstrations 
Uh, demonstrations of the gift of the Spirit should be displayed humility and deference for one another. If you're familiar with the text, we read how people are literally cutting in line in the partaking of the Lord's Supper. Cutting in line. Like, like middle schoolers. Um, like no cuts, no butts, no coconuts. Like that's what's happening. Have you ever, you ever say that as a kid? Yeah. Um, that's happening in the Lord's Supper. They're getting drunk. They're, they're, they're getting drunk at church. Um, people are... Uh, parading spiritual gifts in such a way that all the attention will be centered on themselves and not on Jesus, and is a confusion to unbelievers who are coming to visit. Man, like I said, have I proven to you that the church is a hot mess? Bedlam. I mean, it was like royal rumble at church. Like a, a totally sinful royal rumble um, with no um, suits of armor. But as a circus, a hot mess, like I said, or, or actually, read this, read this book. Re- read all of it to get all the, the details because like, there's so much that can't be covered so you can have clarity. Um, but what we need to know about Corinth is that they did not have the heart of Christ and therefore believers in the church were bruising and leaving terribly bruised. It was, it, was a, it was a hurtful place. And God's house ought not be that. But it, they were leaving bruised. But being the shepherd that he was, and following the example of his ultimate shepherd, Jesus, Paul provided them within this book a metaphor and a motivation to shake them up to sober them up and hopefully change their, their, their hearts and change how they were practicing uh, worship of Christ. And you're all probably familiar with it if you're familiar with uh, the book. Because in chapter 12, he explains to them that they might be individuals, but they are, if they are a part of the church, they are members of a body. If they're, if they're part of this church, they're part of the church, they're part of a body, Christ's body. Something we, we, we deeply determined individualists ought to consider this morning. We're members of a body. We may be individuals, but we're part of a body. And that's, that'll preach in hyper-individualistic uh, U.S. of A., Right? I want to read chapter 12, 13 through 27, so we can see how, how Paul approaches this problem, this, this bevy of problems, this bedlam in the church. He says this. He says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. 
If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there, are many, that there may be, and this is important, that there may be no vi- division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers... All suffer together. If if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. It's such a great metaphor for how we ought to see each other within the household of faith, which another metaphor that Paul employs to um, the Ephesian church in 1 Timothy family, body. Great metaphor. And we should think about it. Obviously, the human body is an extraordinary machine. And I'm, and I'm sure that some of us wish we weren't as fluffy or that skin wasn't suffering the inevitable consequences of gravity. Or why didn't I get Brad Pitt's nose? Um, But none of us in this room today is going to volunteer to amputate what we got. Unless there's a real strange person in this place today. Karen, you give me a look. Not even you are are willing to to chop something off today. Nobody is, is willing to do that then we would be the church of masochism and we have our own mess on our hands, right? What God gives us in terms of our body, sure, it might uh, need some TLC, but right now, it's getting the job done and it's giving us an opportunity to breathe in all that this glorious life has to offer and so, from, therefore, from that perspective, I love all my bits. Now, Paul provides this metaphor so that the church members might apply this thinking and practice to one another. We have to look at each other with this particular metaphor in mind. Because if that's the case, then we are all indispensable. I don't know where we fall in terms of stronger or weaker brethren, but we're all in, 
indispensable pieces and parts that God has specifically chosen to fit into his body. United in Christ, and therefore, we are indispensable to one another. And I think it's important for us to read that text and actually look at each other. So, you know, I, I like that Crystal made it, uh, a, like, challenged us with the reading this morning, so I'll challenge you a little bit with that particular reading. Take a moment and turn around and look at each other. And, and, and understand that you are indispensable to one another. Do it. Do it. Look at, and even maybe look at the person you think is dispensable and, uh, and, and why don't you send them some love, you know? Like, just, just send some love to, you know? Now, there's more to this. There's more in this in a, in a sermon or several sermons but I'll leave you with a couple thoughts to consider from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's seminal work on the church. Um, the thought-provoking words on what it means to be a community centered on and around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a book that you probably heard of called Life Together. And he says these two things. I'm going to put both quotes up on there because I want to just, you know, I want to let it kind of percolate a little bit, kind of think about it. He says these two things that are very challenging, I think, if we're really trying to love one another. He says we are members of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence. In other words, whether or not you are aware of it or even like it or not, if you are, if you are in Christ, you are part of his body, and you're a, and you're a member. And then number two, he says, every member serves the whole body, either to its health or its detriment. Challenging, right? Challenging words and thoughts. The first quote, I just, I just thinking, you know, we're members of, of a body, not only when we choose to be, but in our whole existence means we're connected in a spiritual way, in a divine way, that we don't quite respect and always understand. Do you understand that? Like, do you understand, like, when people, when, when, when the family breaks up, because it, I mean, I got a whole history, a long history of the church breaking up over all sorts of things, right? And I'm not going to get into the doctrinal side of things and kind of working through that. I just want to discuss how it feels. Sometimes you do have to go different ways. Sometimes you have to choose other communities. But I'll tell you what, the one thing that has always been hard for me as a pastor and as just as a Christian, because I wasn't always a pastor, is that um, when, the, when the church um, doesn't understand its interconnectivity, when it severs, it always stings. Always. And it should all of us. When there's that kind of division and that kind of bruising and the nonsense that can go on some, so often in families, the lack of communication, the lack of charitable thoughts towards one another, right? Um, all that stuff. Uh, when, it, when those divisions ha- take place and those bruises uh, ha- happen, th- this thing that, the thing that, among many things, but the first thing that I always feel is just the sting of it. It hurts. Well, it's because we're, the, we're actually the body. We're actually Christ's body. And so when, it, when, you lose, when you lose something, it hurts. 
When you, when you get jabbed, it hurts. I mean, it's crazy how sensitive I am. Like, I get, a, I get a little prick on the finger, and I'm, you know, like, I want Beth to kiss it, you know? Um, but, I don't know, man. It's just one of the things that's been really hard for me as a pastor, and that I need more grace in, and more steel in my spine, and a better, a clearer vision of Jesus is for us that, that I, I, I hurt when the church um, breaks up. I, I hurt when it gets ugly divorces. It hurts. And, and, I, and I have these moments where I'm like, I'm done. I, I want to I quit. Like, the church stinks, you know? Um, and then, of course, I'm preaching a sermon on uh, why the church is beautiful. So uh, I'm going to get to that in a minute. But, but think about that. Like, that's how connected we are. And then, and then, like Bonhoeffer says, we're, we, either, we either serve each other and, and help it nourish the body, either to its health, or, we, or it's or a detriment. And so we can't think that um, just idly sitting by being benign is actually um, good. <laughs> you know, we, I think we need to think about how we bless one another. How we serve and love one another. Well, I think one of the cool things that we, one of the cool opportunities we have in, in terms of being a small church is this. We actually can know each other. We actually can be with one another. We actually can know each other. And that's a gift. I know some people want to go to a big church because you want some anonymity. And there's a time and a season for that too. But the blessing that we have in union is this. We get to actually know each other. So maybe it's time to take someone you've never talked to in church out for some coffee and learn their story and, and see how cool the church really is. <laughs> One of the reasons why I stay in church is because, I get to, because I've been meeting with Christians for 20-plus years, like spending time with them. Gosh, it is like... I am, I've been sanctified through Christ's church. Like, I've learned how to be a better man because of people like you. Whether you've been terrible to me or, or wonderful to me, it's all been a beautiful um, exercise in sanctification. And we need each other. That's, that's, like I said, there's a lot to think through. There's a lot to mine there, but Man, we got to keep going. But that's what Paul says. Paul says, you're a body. You're a body. You are indispensable to one another. Think about that. To be a Christian is to be a part of the collective. And this is why Paul implores all believers that agape Christian love must motivate us as we uh, participate in the body of Christ. And I've been touching on that, but Paul says it most eloquently in 1 Corinthians 13, right? I'm going to read it out of the Message Bible today, so if, you, if there's some of you um, textual critics out there who want to talk about uh, versions of the Bible, we can do that later, but um, I chose Eugene Peterson's version for um, just color and, and perhaps a new, a new lens for, for those of you who may have not heard it in a while. 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. 
if I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that, that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Doesn't have a swelled head. Doesn't force itself on others. I'm still learning that one. Um, Isn't always me first. Doesn't fly off the handle doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God always, always looks for the best, never looks back, but keeps going to the end. Sure, there is Bedlam and Corinth, but if they can see each other as a body, more importantly, if they can see each other as Christ's body, they're going to be okay. If they can be motivated by the love of Jesus Christ. Do you realize, reading through 1 Corinthians 13, that Jesus is the embodiment of every single one of those things? You have time to read a book there's a one, love, Loving Like Jesus Loves. It's a book on 1 Corinthians. You should read it. I can't remember the, the author. But, Jesus, but Paul says if they can love like Jesus and they can see themselves as Christ's body, then this bedlam will, 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 can heal. These bruises and these wounds that they are, um, they are administering to one another, it can, it can heal. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is that there's hope in the most hopeless of situations with Jesus, with, with the real risen Jesus. And in fact, that's kind of the final thing that Paul brings up to the Corinthians. It's really a, a question of belief. It's a matter of belief. Remember I told you to cover bedlam body and belief? Well, that's, that's, what, uh, that's what Paul is really after in the, the closing of this book. He's asking them what they believe. And he says it, he says so much in, in chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, he's always treating them like family. Brothers of the gospel, I preach to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain. I know it's hard, I know it's a challenge, but we do have to ask ourselves, if we can't, if Jesus and his, his love and his way is not beautiful to us to implement into our life and distribute to one another, we have to ask ourselves, 
who is this Jesus that we're actually looking to? Are we looking to the Christ of the Bible or the Christ of our own preference? And that's a common mistake with many of us, especially as we're sorting through our salvation. Do I live challenged by the life of Jesus Christ? And therefore, am I willing to forgive? Am I willing to extend grace? Am I, am I, am I hopeful that something can be healed even though it's been totally destroyed? Well, that's the God of the gospel. And Paul, with his apostolic authority, he says, guys, you have to think about this. You have to think about the gospel and whether or not you have, in fact, actually believed, believed it. Do you believe you need absolute, total, deep deliverance from God? That's what the gospel proclaims. It also proclaims that only Jesus delivers it. And so it's inevitably humbling. And if we believe that, then we, we attempt to live out of that in humility moving forward. Actually, Paul, he says that this is actually the problem in the church. It's actually the greatest problem that they're having. All the, all the hurt that's happening has so much to do with their theology. In verses 3 through 4 of chapter 15, he says, Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day and in accordance to the scriptures. He says, this is who Jesus is. He's lived and he's died in accordance to the scriptures. And and here's the, the issue. He's saying, do you believe that Jesus is really alive? Because you, do you know what? You know what's going on in this church? There, were, there was actually Christians in this church who were um, mocking and ridiculing the doctrine of resurrection. They, they, were, they did not believe that Jesus was alive. In verse 12 of chapter 15, it says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? He's saying, there's your problem is... You don't believe that Jesus is alive. And I'm telling you what, if we don't serve a risen Christ, then, well, I'll quote Paul. He says, the gospel that we've preached is in vain, and and our faith is futile. It's absolutely useless. If Christ is not alive, then we are just a club. We're just a club with, a, a, we don't even have a cool logo. We just have a word. We're a union church. I mean, it's cool, but we don't even have a logo. We're just a club if we don't believe in the resurrected Christ. So that's not, not a critique on, on, the, on the graphics department. Um, although, anyway, anyway, I, you, you almost got me, John. You almost had me rabbit trailing. You see, this is what, I mean, again, I know that was really fast. There's a lot of information covered. But this is what Paul's dealing with. 
in this, in this book. It's wild, right? When you think about it. These are all the, the issues that, that he's dealing with in this church. And you know what's interesting? When you really read it, and if you've, because I, I, I love ecclesiology. Um, it's a big fancy word for the study of the church. I love studying the church because it's, it's fascinating. And it's incredible how, how God in his glorious grace has managed to move salvation through the, the ages um, through sinners like us. It, it's, it's crazy. It's wild. But if you really think about it, a lot of what is happening in Corinth we could probably see happening in the global church today, right? Sinners are still savaging one another. And again, it leads us right back to that question, that original question. How could we ever call the church beautiful when it bruises like this? I told you I had an answer. Hopefully it's been compelling enough to keep you with me. But uh, recently I've been reading a book on the church called The Loveliest Place. It's a beautiful title for the church. It's actually a, a, a phrasing that Spurgeon applied to uh, the church. Um, but I'm currently reading uh, a chapter on the Song of Songs. Dustin Benge, I think that's how you say his name, he interprets the book um, partially as an allegory on, the, on God's love for his people. And perhaps you'll remember it's something that I suggested in a sermon on the Song of Songs uh, earlier in the year when none of the other pastors or elders would take it. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just messing, just playing. Um, but he offers some really cool perspective, some really sweet perspective that I'd like you to really um, kind of think through, just think through the, the thoughts and the ideas um, and it's all up there to follow along with. He says, More profound amazement is ours when we consider that the church is composed of sinners, albeit forgiven, still sinners. In her own eyes, the church is full of spots and blemishes and is, in fact, sometimes disgusting to behold. Paul says that only at the end of the age will the church be presented to Christ in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Yet Christ draws our attention to his bride here and now, not for veneration, but that we may be astonished and lost in the wonder of his love and sacrifice on her behalf. The church is beautiful because the lens through which Christ regards her is his cross. The focal point of blood, righteousness, forgiveness, union, justification, regeneration, and grace. His cross makes her beautiful. His perfection makes her beautiful. It is his sacrificial, substitutionary, sinless blood that washes her garments as white as snow. The cross of Christ makes her her beautiful, not only inwardly by justification, but also outwardly through sanctification. From giving second birth to final glory, the righteousness of Christ creates a beautiful church. 
His perfect righteousness fashions a loveliness so shocking and captivating that in the same sentence he repeats his admiration twice. Behold, you are beautiful. Behold, you are beautiful. When God is looking on the mess that is happening in Corinth, it doesn't change the way he sees them. This doesn't change his love for them. They may be a mess, and there must there is definitely repentance and, and a lot of healing that needs to happen in this church. But you know what God's perspective is on his church is this. You are beautiful. I love you. Corinth may be a hot mess, but they are his hot mess. And I don't know about you, but if you have kids you kind of know what I'm talking about, right? My hot mess is, he's gone. He's not alive anymore. But I tell you what, it's so sweet to look at him and see him struggle in life and, and really, really, really wrestle. You know what my son wrestled with his whole life? If he's truly loved, if he's truly loved by his family and if he's truly loved by God, because he did a lot of stupid things. And here's a, here's a beautiful thing. I'd always tell my son, you're beautiful. You're so loved. And I want you to know it. Know something that, that I know, that you don't know. And for a lot of you, that's what you don't know about the church, is just how truly beautiful you are. How loved by God you are. How messed up you may be, but how loved you are. And how indispensable you are to Christ. And I preach that for myself. It's true for me, too. They're beautiful. You're beautiful. That's that's the gospel. It's not about who we are. It's about who he is. And about us being in awe of his beauty and walking in it, living in it. So, I guess in closing, uh, a few things. Um, If you are a spot or a blemish in the church, um, If you are a problem in the body of Christ, just repent and, ch- and chill out. <laughs> You're so loved, but like, stop being a thorn, <laughs> if that's you, <laughs> you know? Like, serious. If you're a pain in the, in the, in the buns, like, stop. <laughs> uh, um, repent. You're, and guess what? You're still part of the body, still, still loved. And also, you know, I know I can be a, a real pain in the tuchus, too. Yeah, that's right. That's right. I agree. I agree. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's so, what's so cool is the security of just belonging, right? It's really cool. So if that's you, then, you know, repent. If that's anyone, it's fine. Um, if, here's another one. If you are in the, in the midst of deconstruction, like you're, you know, there's a huge wave of people who are, you know, there's 
people my age, younger, leaving the church because of all the nonsense that happens in church. Like when you read, when you read an article, I mean, just this, was it just this week? Another, another pastor fell, and it just like, it stings, right? It's hard. Um, if you're in the midst of deconstruction, if you're wrestling and you're, you're like, I'm just done. I'm so done with all the nonsense that happens in church, the, the, the nastiness that goes on there. If, you, if that's going on with you, please talk to someone and, and work through it in healthy ways. Not bouncing, just bailing and bouncing is not helpful. Um, and FYI, you can, it's possible to throw the bathwater out and keep the baby. Um, Jesus is the baby, you know? <laughs> like, Jesus is the baby. We should keep him. We should roll with him in all the, the muck, the, ba- the bathwater. That metaphor doesn't work completely, so let's not, let's, not, let's, not chase it, let's not chase it so much, okay? Okay? Um, but you know what I mean, right? You know what I mean? And, 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 then, and then also, if you are on the outside looking in, this, is an, eh, this might be the weirdest invitation you ever received, but this is an invitation to join a community that is not perfect, but is being perfected slowly, I might add, but it is centering on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that is a glorious uh, place to be. I'm still here because Jesus is beautiful and his church is beautiful. I can laugh at the jokes now because they're in the past and I've healed through them. I can laugh about them because they don't, they don't dictate my life. They're just a part of the story and something I needed to grow uh, through so that I might be sanctified and that I might be presented blameless and spotless in the end, um, his church. He'll sustain us to the very end. That was my word, Crystal. Sustained to the very end. That's what I'm holding on to. Is that I'll be sustained to the very end. Because I, gosh, life is so tiring, so exhausting. That's how I came today. Exhausted and not wanting to preach to you guys. Like, like stupid. Um, But uh, Jesus will sustain me uh, to the end. And that's what I'm holding on to. Is him. So let's pray. Okay, Lord, we love you, and we thank you for, oh gosh, we thank you for yourself, your grace, your mercy that you bestow upon us, and we thank you for your church. And Lord, as we look at the church and uh, the mess that we can be and are at times, it's just so incredible to think that that you love us and that you work in and through the midst of uh, your church. And and, and people are saved, and they have hope, and they know you're alive. And that is incredible that you do all that. So, Lord, we, uh, we're, just, we're just thankful that you would call us to yourself. And um, we are hopeful that as we move forward in life, that you will continue to give us a vision of yourself, that we, might be, that we may continue to move forward. And so, God... Uh, we love you, and we're so thankful for, thankful for Corinth, 
And I, and I tell you what, Lord, I, I'm looking forward to seeing you. And I'm also looking forward to seeing some of uh, my buddies from Corinth one of these days, too. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.